Amen. Thank you, Mrs. Durand. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. My dad started the tradition of preaching on the home from Mother's Day until Father's Day, and I like that tradition. And so we're going to continue that this year as we did last year. Ephesians chapter 4. Now this isn't going to be our primary text. This is kind of the springboard text. Today's message is more of a topical message. And specifically this morning as we are approaching or we are dealing with this idea of marriage, love and marriage, we are going to be looking at conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. But let's begin this morning by reading verses 29 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 29 through 32. The Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouths, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now it's interesting, in verse 32, we teach our children. I know in our home we've taught this verse. We have communicated this verse multiple times. Because having all boys, uh, there's times where there's just brotherly um, conflict. And I'll hear either my wife or myself say, hey, and be ye kind, right? But the truth of the matter is that this is a good verse, not just for children, but for adults. If there's something that our world needs today, it is a large dose of kindness. We are living in a caustic age, a hostile age. We are living in an age where people have really walked away from any form of diplomacy or decency or decorum. And now if you think it, you can say it. I mean, that may work on your Facebook page, but it will not work in your marriage. And if you actually want your home to be a little piece of heaven, then you're going to have to learn, and I'm going to have to learn, to follow what the Bible says about conflict resolution. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump into this morning's message. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness this morning. We pray that you would bless this time. Father, I realize this, that I cannot communicate eternal truths, that only the Holy Spirit can open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to learn. It's only the Holy Spirit that can teach these things. So, Father, this morning I pray the Holy Spirit would do His work and that we would not be an obstacle to Him. And Father, I pray that You would be glorified in all that's done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Howard Hendricks said people get married with a picture in their minds of a perfect marriage. Then, after a few trials, they discover they aren't married to a perfect picture 
but an imperfect person. I like to call this the Cinderella effect. Everybody thinks they're going to marry a princess. And every man thinks he's going to marry a princess. Every woman thinks she's going to marry that Prince Charming. Let me help you with that. That only works in the magical kingdom. Those are Disney characters. They are not real. Everybody else is going to have to marry a human. Not a cartoon. And the human that you marry is going to be a person that has flaws. That's the reality of it. I like what Dr. Howard Hendricks says this. When this realization occurs, they will either tear up the picture or they will tear up the person. That's exactly what happens in marriage. You either accept the fact that you are a work in progress and the person you've married is a work in progress and you tear up the the uh, fantasy idea in your mind of what you thought marriage would be, or you will turn your attention towards the person and you will begin to try to change them. Can I say this? God hasn't called any person in this room to change anyone. In fact, I would even say this, we cannot even change ourselves. But the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, can change any individual. Your mate does not have to be perfect, but they should be perfectable. And all of us should try, strive to be conformed into the image of Christ. Sometimes we're like the couple who was with some friends, and the subject of marriage counseling came up. And Mary said, oh, Tom and I will never need counseling we have a great relationship. He was a communications major in college, and I majored in drama. He communicates real well, and I just act like I'm listening. <laughs> what happens when conflict arises in our marriage? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to have a biblical reaction. We have to biblical reaction. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19 and verse 14. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 14. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 4 because we're going to come back, all right? Sorry, I should have said that first. We're going to be moving around in the scriptures a little bit this morning. A biblical reaction. The truth of the matter is, is that we are going to have situations arise in our relationships where there is conflict. Because as I said, we're sinners. Hopefully saved by grace. Salvation... <laughs> does wonders for marriage. It does. And I'm going to assume that you're saved this morning and we're going to approach relationship from that aspect. First we see this in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 19 and verse 14. The Bible says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When we think about our communication with our mate, when a conflict arises, the first thing that we must do in our reaction, we should strive to have a biblical reaction. And the way we, we react biblically is we have words that are acceptable. 
Words that are acceptable. Here it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. There is a inseparable link between the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If what you meditate on, if what you allow to fill your soul, if what you feast on during the week is that which is not acceptable to God when it comes to language, when it comes to thoughts, when it comes to philosophy, then when you get in a high-pressure situation, an intense situation, what's on the inside is going to come to the outside. In Jim Berg's book, Changed Into His Image, he uses the illustration of a tea bag and hot water. And what we realize is this, we boil the water or we bring the water to a hot temperature and then we place the tea bag within that hot water. And what's on the inside of that tea bag will come to the outside. And so it is in our lives. When we find ourselves in a hot water situation, what is on the inside will make its way to the outside. And sometimes we will say things that are not acceptable because what we've been putting into our hearts and our minds are not acceptable either. Now, it used to be preachers would preach against cable TV. <laughs> but that's not where we live anymore. Obviously, that's still a problem. But there are so many avenues of information and influence. There are so many social programs today that if you are filling your heart with unacceptable philosophies and unacceptable language and unacceptable music and you are filling your heart with that which is carnal here's what's going to happen when you have a conflict with your mate what is on the inside is going to come to the outside in fact back in ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 we read this let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here's what we learn in that moment, that corrupt communication should not come forth from us, but that which comes forth out of our mouth should be that which builds up or edifies that person. In fact, we're supposed to minister grace with our tongue to those that hear us. This would mean this, that there's never a place or a time in your marriage where you should use profanity. There's never a place or a time in the Christian life where you should use profanity. If you have a problem with profanity, you have a problem in spiritual discipline of your tongue. If you, if you have profanity in your heart, it's because you've put it there. Which means you are allowing yourself to feast upon profanity. And you are allowing yourself to fill your heart with that type of language. And that's why it comes out when you get in a hot water, or high-pressure situation. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication. And this goes beyond just profanity. You would say, oh, preacher, you think that someone here would use profanity? Absolutely. <laughs> I've, been a long, I've been involved in ministry long enough. I've been amazed at what people have said in front of me. It used to be that you wouldn't curse in front of a preacher. You had more respect for the office. But I've heard curse words in church. People just telling random stories. And that's over my life of ministry, which is 19 years tomorrow. So yes, I believe we live in a profane world. And I believe that each and every one of us is inundated with profane just in our 
workplaces and in society. I remember a few years back, I was in a, um, I was in a sports store. It was uh, Gander Mountain. And uh, there was a guy on the phone that was walking by. And he was using R-rated profanity on the phone. I had all my boys with me. And, uh, and I just, it just blew my mind that we're at the place now where that is acceptable. I remember it used to be you go into the professional workplace, such as doctors, and they would never curse. In the last few situations, I think with Jared, here we had the head of the um, cardiac department of UVA. Yeah, no problem coming in and cursing in front of patients. It just blew my mind because our, our society is becoming more and more immoral. And this is where we work. And this is where we live. And this is what you hear on a day in and day basis. But I can tell you, friend, that is not acceptable in the life of a Christian. And what we communicate and what we say, we should be very careful with. Why? Because as we'll look at, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so when we have a conflict in our marriage, we should not allow corrupt communication. I believe corrupt communication goes beyond just profanity. But using words that are hurtful, using words that are demeaning. You know, I remember, I remember a couple, and uh, they used uh, nicknames for each other that were just horrible. And I thought, you know, that's not ministering grace. And some people say, well, it's silly. I don't think it's silly. In our home, there's things we're not allowed to say. I don't allow my sons to call each other stupid. I don't allow them to do that. If they do use that word, they at least get a strong admonition from me. And if they continue to use that word, they're going to get a moment of discipleship. Why? Because it's not kind. Now, it has forced them to use a, uh, a thesaurus and become creative. <laughs> that's, not a po- that's not a negative, all right? <laughs> but we're so demeaning in our tone sometimes, demeaning in the words we use. Our words should be acceptable. Remember this, sir. When you're speaking to your wife, if she's saved, she's a daughter of the king. And ma'am, if you're speaking to your husband, you realize this. You're talking to a son of the king. And their heavenly father should be pleased with the words that proceed out of our mouths. Not only should our words be acceptable, our words should be affectionate. Let me give you a few verses here. Verse 32 of Ephesians 4, which you should have your finger in. It says, and be kind one to another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity there, understandably, is the Greek word agape love, all right? Love is kind. I think we knew that. I think we know that. I don't think we always demonstrate that. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth in love. I will say this, that truth and love are inseparable as well. That you cannot speak love if you do not speak truth. It is not loving to lie to someone. It is not loving to ignore error. It's not loving to allow someone to continue in a uh, delusion. 
love must be spoken in truth. So there has to be truth, but it also has to be communicated in a way that ministers grace and is edifying. So many times we turn people off with how we say something, not what we say. And so the vehicle of our words, the vehicle of our hearts must be a vehicle that is a vehicle that is gracious and loving and kind, though it carries the truth. Not only do we see it there, what about Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how that you ought to answer every man. You know, hateful words bring about negative consequences, don't they? Oh, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. It's not true. You can destroy someone with your words. And every year in this country, thousands of young people take their lives because of things said to them and even on the internet. Because words are powerful. And once you send those arrows out of your mouth, once those words are verbalized, you cannot get them back. Oh, forgiveness can be given. But there are tremendous scars in the lives of people because the wrong word was said at the wrong time and in the wrong manner. Our words should be affectionate. In Proverbs 15 and verse 1, it says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Do you accelerate conflict or do you de-accelerate it? Are you the one when someone says something, you go, okay, here we go, right? Or are you the one that immediately begins to de-escalate the conflict? There have been situations in marriage counseling that I've had where one person will dominate another person in words. They won't let the other person get a word in. And in my office, I have to pick up some random item. And I say, this is the talking stick. If you do not have this in your hand, you are not allowed to talk. You say, boy, that's very elementary. You're exactly right. And it's amazing to me in these situations, when someone is holding the talking stick, the other person still thinks they have a right to butt in. We have to... We have to have civility in our relationships. And part of that is this, not adding wood to the fire of conflict. Our words can do that very easily. Not only do we see in this idea of biblical reaction words that are acceptable, affectionate, but they must be accurate. There in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. There should never be a time in our lives or in our relationship that we lie to our, our mates in word or in deed. Relationship is built on trust, and deceit erodes the foundation of that trust. If you don't like something, say it. Right? If she looks at you and she says, do you like this dress? If you don't like it, don't say you do. 
she'll be mad. She might. Make sure you say it in a very nice way. Be kind and affectionate, all right? Maybe you say something like this, honey, that dress, that dress just does not compliment you as much as other dresses I've seen. But be honest. I think many times we live in relationships that we have built and we have created because we are not willing to be transparent. Be transparent. When you and I in our relationships, when we are when we choose to be deceitful, when we choose to be um, operate with a cloak and dagger idea, we weave into our relationship a distrust. Hey, listen, if you want to go to the store, just say you want to go to the store. If you were gone 15 to 20 minutes because you decided to stop somewhere or to go somewhere or to do something or to buy something, just say it. Don't hide it. Relationships should not be this complicated mechanism by which we're trying to dupe our mate and get things by them, right? Like they're not going to find out. No, we should have words that are accurate. We should have actions that are accurate. You know, when you're in the middle of a conversation or a conflict, there's some words you should never use. You should never use never. You shouldn't use always. Why? Because they're exaggerations and they're untrue. No one never does something. No one always does something. I wish we were that consistent even in our, even in our sins, but we're not. We don't. We're not that consistent. We all have inconsistencies. And so if you get in the midst of a conversation or a conflict with your mate and you, they say something and then what do you do instead of being affectionate, you one-up. Well, when you did this, all right, but you come back and you one-up the conversation, you one-up the, the offense uh, by reaching back and grabbing some old trespass or some old conflict and pulling it out of the old backpack and you hurl that stone at your mate and, you, and then what you do is you, you, uh, you wrap that offense or that comeback with the word, well, you never, you always. It's just not true. Be accurate in your words. Don't exaggerate. Don't allow your emotions to blur reality. You know, all of us can become, and I hate to use this word, but triggered emotionally. Have you ever built something up in your mind? Something's happening. You're getting ahead of it in your mind. You've built, you've built in your mind this complicated scenario where you have all the problems laid out and all of the solutions, and you're just waiting for that person so you can unload on them, right? I'm talking like in perfect machine gun form, you're just going to just pull the trigger and just start going, right? You're going to tell them all the things they've done and all the solutions, right? And we do this with our mates. We've built this fabricated story in our minds of what happened or what's going to happen. And what do we do? We unload on them when we have the opportunity. Many times I've found in my life that the scenario that I built that I thought was true was not. I have a tendency to always build it worse than it is. I don't think I'm the only one that is in that category, right? Isn't it interesting our fears are many times much greater than the reality? 
We always go to the far negative. We always take it down the path that uh, is sensational. Now listen, let the news be sensational. Don't be sensational in your emotions when it comes to your mate. Don't assume the worst. Be accurate in how you communicate. Not only do we see this idea of a biblical reaction, lastly this morning we're going to look at a biblical reasoning. What is the reason for conflict? Well, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So we immediately begin to realize that contention, right, conflict arises because of pride. The Bible continues in Proverbs 12 and verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Our sin, our pride, the fool is the categorization of the, of the individual that walks away from biblical wisdom in the word of God. And so when we are in our pride, living our lives by our own design, then God categorizes us as a fool. And a fool is a person that is prideful. The fool is right in his own eyes. James 3 verse 16 says this, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. The word confusion there means instability, disorder, commotion. Pride creates an atmosphere of competition. Now I want you to do something this morning that will help you. I want you to look at your mate if they're here this morning. Okay, Look at them in the eyes right now, right now. And then I want you to say this. Now do it. Or I'm going to preach another 30 minutes. <laughs> All right, right now, look at him and say this. We are on the same team. Go. Good. Now remember that next time you're in a knockdown drag out, all right? You're on the same team. You're not supposed to be competing against each other. I remember one time we had a beast feast. And uh, it was up in the mountains when I was passionate. And this, this visitor, they weren't a part of our church. Visitor came in and, um, and they started, the wife was there with him. And, and we were talking about the mounts that he had put up. And, and she makes this statement. Every time he goes and buys a gun, I buy a piece of jewelry. And I thought, wow, <laughs> is that where we are? Right? Where you get what you get and I get what I get. And I'm out for my own, and you're out for your own, and we're in this massive competition where you can't get something if I don't get something. Man, what are we in the nursery? That's how my five year old acts. You ought to be able to give something to your mate, not expect to get something in return. Last time I checked, we're to resemble the love of Christ. And Christ gave to us in a self-sacrificing manner with his death, burial, and resurrection. And our gifts to him of service pale. Pale eternally, eternally to the gift that he gave us. Pride. Fool is right in his own eyes. Are you always right? You always have to be right? Can you in your marriage admit when you're wrong? Is it your idea, your, your, your way or the highway? Do you dominate your relationship? 
Is that the pride that's manifested in your life? If you do, your mate will withdraw. They will get to the place where they don't even add to the conversation because they know it's pointless. And when you get to that place where one mate has withdrawn from the conversation and the relationship, you are in a miserable place. And you are not functioning how God designed it. Pride produces contention. Sin is the root of conflict. The Bible tells us in James 3 and verse 14, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Bitterness will kill your marriage. An unwillingness to forgive. An unwillingness to walk away from a hurt or an injustice. Someone who continually regurgitates those past offenses and uses them as offensive weapons to manipulate the relationship, you are destroying your relationship and you are killing yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Carnality is the litmus test. It's the signal that should evoke in our hearts an understanding that we are in a carnal position. It is carnality. It's, a, it's the opposite of Christ's likeness that breeds contention. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, God, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. When God is present in our marriage, when both the husband and the wife are not looking at each other, they're not even looking at themselves, but they're focusing their eyes on Christ, and if we are all being conformed to the image of Christ, then all of us by nature are drawing closer to Christ, and in so doing, by default, we are drawing closer to each other. When a church focuses on Christ, then we will draw closer to each other, and the love of the brethren will be amazing. When a home focuses on Christ, then we are drawn to our Savior. And as Christ changes us, as the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ, then we are drawn closer to each other. We see the reason for conflict, but what's the reasoning in conflict? First, we are to listen. Proverbs 18 and verse 13, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame unto him. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Romans 12 and verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem, that means consider or to think, other better than themselves. We're to listen. So many conflicts take place in marriage because... We are not listening. I remember, and I'll use this illustration to the day I die. By the way, work days produce a lot of illustrations. Which probably will get worked into a message at some point, right? But I remember one time Judah was little. I was, he was talking to me and I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at something else. And he grabbed my face. And he pulled it over. I looked right at his eyes. He said, Daddy, 
listen to me with your eyes. You know, listening is kind of like tuning a radio station. You can only listen to one radio station at a time. And in our lives, when our mates are speaking, we should tune other things out and we should tune them in. Miscommunication, conflict, many times happens because of our pride in that we are selfish and we are not willing to listen to our mate. Secondly, we are to love. Proverbs 17 and verse 9 says, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. Proverbs 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, But love covereth all sins. We think of 1 Corinthians 13, there, a tremendous passage on love. But in verse 7 it says, Love, we know this, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, love, never faileth. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I end with this illustration. A couple married for 15 years began having more than the usual disagreements. They wanted to make their marriage work and agreed on an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip in a fault box. The box would provide a place to let the other know about daily irritations. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, they would exchange boxes. The husband reflected on what he had done wrong. Then the wife opened her box and began reading. They were all the same. The message on each slip was, I love you. This is how we are to reason in conflict. You're married to a sinner. And that person is going to make mistakes and they're going to make wrong choices. But if you want to work through conflict and not live in conflict, then someone's going to have to be the spiritual Christian and love as Christ loved. Now that responsibility falls on the shoulders of the husband. But anybody and everybody should love as Christ loved. This is how we should approach conflict. This is the reasoning. We must listen and we must love. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. I pray that you would use these passages, these thoughts today as we consider conflict resolution in our marriages. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have healthy homes. We realize that the strength of the church is only as strong as the families. So, Father, I pray that you'd use this in our hearts and lives this morning. Before I finish my prayer, I realize this. I realize that today wasn't a salvation message. Can I say this? The home will never work the way God designed it. Unless you're saved. The greatest need you have and the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to come. We'd love to show you how you can know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. For families, for marriages, I realize this. A message like this, a pound of prevention is better than a, or an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. 
I don't expect people to hit the altar today. <laughs> the truth of the matter is this, all of us could. <laughs> the sad reality, sometimes we think, oh, they have a problem in their marriage. Oh. Let, newsflash, we all have problems in our marriage. <laughs> but I would encourage you, don't leave the doors of the building this morning unchanged by the Word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to do something in your heart and life. Father, I pray that you take this truth Use it in our lives. We ask this, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano begins to play. The song she's playing is Make Me a Channel of Blessing. Boy, that's a great thought. Are you a channel of blessing in your home? I hope you are. If you're not saved this morning, why don't you come? Why don't you step out? Allow us to introduce you to Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. If you're there this morning and God spoke to your heart, why don't you make an altar right where you're standing? Pray to God. Ask him to give you the grace you need to grow and have a marriage that pleases him. If you would, take your hymnal, turn to page 581. Page 581. Let's sing that first verse in chorus as we close this morning.